Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to find ourselves today in two areas of Scripture. You'll need to turn to John chapter 19, John chapter 19, as well as Psalm chapter 69. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in front of you in the pew, and so you can grab that. And if you see someone that's wondering where in the world is Psalm, where in the world is John, um, then just help them out, because that's what we do here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Once again, those areas of Scripture are John chapter 19 Psalm chapter 69. Uh, We had such a great week at our youth camp. I was so thankful to hear the report of the many people that, yet many young people that gave their life to the Lord and were baptized. Um, We are seeing God do an incredible work through our youth ministry and just ask that you would continue to pray for them. And I just personally want to thank you because it's because of your generosity and giving to the Lord that we are seeing our youth, youth saved and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just grateful for each and every one of you and for your commitment to watch God's kingdom advance. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to prepare our hearts. Father, today we're taking the time to look at the cross. The cross in and of itself is a hard thing to look at. We're so grateful for it, but it was your pain that brought our peace. And so as we discover truth today, I ask that you would speak to us. Our soul thirsts for you. And would you prepare our spirits to hear what you would have us to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. I ask you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 19. Would you look with me as we continue in verse 28? John chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine. And any time the scripture repeats something, it's something for us to look at. Put it on hyssop and put it in his mouth. Quite possibly you've read over this scripture before very quickly. Because what went before it is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what will come after it is another famous phrase, it is finished. It seems sometimes sandwiched in between these two sentences, I thirst may be easy simply to read right over. Yet Jesus said something so profound when he was fighting with the enemy in Matthew's gospel. He said this, a quote from the book of Deuteronomy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Thus, I thirst, there must be something in it for our spiritual life. There must be something in it for our spiritual vitality. Because every word spoken was intended and purposed. 
Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. In Isaiah chapter 55, you'll see it on the screen. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may be give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper for the reason of which I sent it. This word, it needs to produce fruit in our lives, just as the rain comes down and allows fruit on the earth. This word needs to accomplish in our hearts what God intended for it to accomplish, what he purposed because he pleased to say it. Jesus also said, that his words are spirit, and they are life. And if you remember, he said this in John chapter 6 to a crowd that he just pronounced, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Truly, he was not contradicting, contradicting his message of compassion with cannibalism. No, his words are spirit. He must have had a deeper meaning than eat my flesh and drink my blood. No, he was speaking to the crowd, I want you to crave me, like you crave food, and like you crave water. His words are life. And in those words are spiritual vitality. He nourishes us with those words. Though we may not understand it, he says, I thirst. And might quite possibly, he might be describing our deepest longing. Would you take a look back at John chapter 19 and look at verse 28 after this. Let's stop there for a moment as we begin to dissect this scripture and understand for which reason God intended after this. Note the intensity from which these words flow. Note the intensity from which these words flow. As far as scripture is concerned, Jesus has not had a drink since the last supper the evening before. For over the last 18 hours, he has been in agony more than any runner on a marathon. His prayer in the garden, it went from sweat to blood, already indicating that dehydration was setting in. And then, the kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin. And it was there through the night that he would be slapped, he'd be hit, he would be mocked. At least a boxer in a ring gets a water break every three minutes, not Jesus. He'd be carried off to Pilate, then to Herod, then back to Pilate in the heat of the Israeli sun after he'd been beaten by the cat of nine tails 39 times and then given a piece of wood and forced to walk up that hill with a cross on his back. He'd be nailed to a cross by which he refused the wine that was offered to him at first. You see, he would not dull the pain by any means of what he was about to experience on the cross. And for three hours, three hours, he would hang on that cross, struggling in the hot sun to raise himself on a nail to prevent his own suffocation and then drop again to raise himself again. Think of the physical exertion. Think of the exhaustion. It had to be excruciating. In fact, it's that word crucifixion by where we get the word excruciating. 
Truly, the psalmist was right when he would say in Psalm chapter 32, verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Eighteen hours God's hand was heavy. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. And then that great messianic psalm in Psalm chapter 22, verse 15, the psalmist would pronounce again, My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. And my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Have ever you have run a marathon? Have any of you ever worked out? Have you been a gym or just gone for a jog or a walk and come back and your mouth is so dry, longing for a drip of water, just as the deer pants for the water? Jeremiah would proclaim, in a prophetic message about this moment, in Lamentations chapter 1, it is nothing to you, all you who pass by. Behold and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From above he has sent fire into my bones and overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. You see, not only was the body of Jesus broken, his spirit, those that he was dying for were mocking him and spitting on him. Listen to what the Solomon would write in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. You see, those that he had come to die for They offered him vinegar, not wine, and they mocked him and said, Let him alone, Mark tells us. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. This was not a statement of hope. It was a statement to mock him. Yet worst of all, after the three hours of being in that heat, he would bear the weight of sin as the sun would be darkened for another three hours and the Father would turn his back on him. It was this moment that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane would say, let this cup pass. He did not want to be separated from his Father. And at the end of those dreaded three hours, he would scream out from his lungs, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Never had he have felt in eternity past the separation from his father. For an eternity of time, he had never been separated until this moment. And then at that moment, he would cry out, I thirst. Would you listen to his thirst for his father? Because many of us have felt the darkest of darkest moments in our life's history. Many of us have been at the place where we're carrying our cross, the loss of a loved one, the sadness of depression, the pit of despair. We as well have cried out, why have you forsaken me? But have we followed the example of our standard bearer and say, I thirst? You see, is it possible that this is a spiritual thirsting as well as a physical. And he's setting an example for us in our darkest hour that we should as well thirst for God. Some of you maybe have brought a friend and you're saying, well, usually he's funny. I don't know why he's being so intense. (laughs) And it may seem that I am intense, but it's the intensity of this moment in the Scripture that you're sensing. 
after this. John chapter 19, verse 28, after this, take a look. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Stop there if you would. Because these two words indicate something for us that I want you to note. I want you to note his humanity, Jesus, knowing his deity. Because he's all-knowing. I want you to note his humanity in his his deity with these two words, Jesus, knowing. You see, Jesus is the Son of Man. It's a title that was given to him from the book of Daniel, but he is also the Son of God. He knows all things. All things. You see, the word that was given to the prophets prior to Jesus' coming, of which Jesus fulfilled over 400 prophecies, was that he would be the Son of God and he would be the Son of Man. He would be deity and he would be humanity. For it was Isaiah that said to us, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Yet we know he's of the line of David. Take a look on the screen at 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and when you rest with your fathers, God is speaking to David. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David, he will come from your line because he will be human. He will be the son of man. But his throne will last forever because he is the son of God. He is not just humanity. He is deity. We know from Isaiah as well, not only that he is Emmanuel, but we also learn in Isaiah 53 that he's the man of sorrows because he was of the line of David. Now, I need to explain. He did not cease to be all that he was as God. He simply took upon himself that which he was not. He became man. Jesus is the eternal God who became in that moment and is today the God-man. There's a reason for that. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it's one that I cherish. Therefore, in all things, therefore, in all things, he had to be made to be like his brethren. That he might be merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to become like us. In fact, if you're coming to our Thursday night study, we're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Philippians. Paul just let us know in Philippians chapter 2, he was and is man. Take a look at the screen about halfway in the middle. He says, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men. And if you missed it, he repeats it again. And being found in the appearance as a man. He gave proof of his deity while he walked on earth. He commanded the water to become a sidewalk. He healed leprosy. He caused the blind to see and the lame to walk. In fact, when John the Baptist was doubting, are you God? Are you the one or not? He sent a message back to him saying, I fulfilled everything of the prophets in in regards. The lame can walk. The blind can see. Go tell John these things. He knows scripture. He will know by me saying this, I am the Messiah. I am God. But he also was the son of man. And scripture gives proof that at the end of his 40-day fast, he hungered. 
In John chapter 4, after his long journey, the Bible says he was weary. And now on the cross, he thirsted. Now I need to give you a perspective of heaven to understand the power of him being the Son of Man. Would you look at the screen? It's Revelation chapter 7, verse 16. The Bible makes it very clear they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. You have to understand heaven and its inhabitants do not thirst. God does not thirst. Angels do not thirst. You will not thirst if you are a part of the church. But now on earth, Jesus as the God-man said, I thirst. And that is so important because he truly was the Son of Man. And as man, he lived a sinless life, a life that we could not live. And because he lived a sinless life, he was able to pay the price of our sin on the cross. And there he died, taking the penalty of death away from us so he can offer eternal life. Amen. He was the God-man. But I want you to see something else in John chapter 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Stop there if you would. And I want you to note his spirituality. How many of us have had dark places in our life? We have lost a loved one. We've lost a job. There's a family situation or a life experience that we just were not expecting How many of us have been in a darkest hour and we begin to question God? We begin to wonder, where is God? More like doubting Thomas, unless I see, I will not believe. Jesus, he handled it so differently. In the middle of his darkest hour, as our standard bearer of righteousness, his mind was in a sober place and he was focused on the word of God. There in the garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was attacked and Peter cut off Malchus's ear and he was trying to stop the soldier from taking to Jesus, Jesus made a statement in a question in Matthew chapter 26, verse 54. He said this, Matthew chapter 26, verse 54, how then could the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen thus? You have to understand, when a Jewish person of that time said a question, they were actually making a statement. And Jesus is saying, this is happening to me in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they are taking me to my cross because I will fulfill Scripture in my life, no matter how I feel about it, no matter the circumstance, no matter the event. And now on the cross, during his anguish, Once again, our standard bearer of righteousness has his mind on one truth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. His situation would not determine it. His circumstance would not sway him from his fervor to be true to God alone. As he said back in Matthew chapter 5, he would fulfill every jot and every tittle of the word of God. There would not be even a stroke that he would leave out. Turn with me, if you would, to see this truth exemplified in Psalm chapter 69. Keep your finger in John 19. Psalm chapter 69, this great psalm of the crucifixion. Jesus knew this psalm. 
Jesus treasured this psalm. Jesus understood this psalm. And there on the cross, his mind was on this psalm. Let's see how he fulfilled it as we skip through its verses. Psalm chapter 69, verse 4. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me. Being my enemies wrongfully, though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. He was tried. He was without sin. Check on Psalm 69 verse 4. It's fulfilled. Look at verse 7. Because for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. They put a crown of thorns on his head. I've become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's children. His mother and his brothers at a time in his ministry thought that he was crazy. Check, he fulfilled it. Psalm chapter 69, would you take a look now at verse 11. Psalm 69 verse 11, I also made sackcloth my garment. I became a byword to them. Those who sit in the gate speak against me, the Sanhedrin. That's true, they tried him. And I am the song of the drunkards. People were mocking him. Check. He fulfilled this in Psalm chapter 69. Look at verse 17. And do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Do you remember when he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 18. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart and I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. Check. Fulfilled. Psalm 69. But yet in this psalm, before God's judgment is pronounced in the latter portion of this psalm and the joy that Jesus after the resurrection would experience, there is one more thing on the checklist for Jesus to fulfill. Would you look at verse 21? They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. You see, though this agony was absolutely overwhelming, more than a marathon or a boxer in a ring, though he was tired, exhausted, he was famished, his tongue clenched to his mouth because he had dry mouth. He was so thirsty. Church, I need you to know something. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and did not say a word. Unless it was in his heart, it would not come out of his mouth. Physical pain, thirst, and exhaustion would never force him to say these words. His mind was set on Psalm 69 and he was going to fulfill Scripture and because Scripture was in his heart, he said, I thirst. Perhaps it's from this moment that the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. You'll see it on the screen. Therefore, don't lose heart. Listen, church. Those of you that are in a dark time, don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, let me add, in comparison to the cross, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. God's heart was set on the eternal, and what was in his heart was Scripture. And because he knew Psalm 69, physical pain did not drive him to say a word. His desire was to fulfill Scripture. Does this set an example for us in our darkest days? Do we keep our mind fixed on fulfilling the word no matter what comes our way? Or do we give in to the appetite of our flesh and use our trial as an excuse to crawl into a cave of compromise? Not Jesus. Psalm 69 was in his mind. Psalm 69 was in his heart. And out of the abundance of his heart spoke his mouth, I thirst. Let our banner be as our Savior that the Scripture might be fulfilled in our life. Going back with me to John chapter 19, would you look again at John chapter 19 verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And in these two words is something powerful for us in our suffering world. And what I desire for you to note is his sympathy. Would you note his sympathy? You see, when sin entered the world, so did the thorn and the thistle. When Adam and Eve made their decision in the perfect garden, they received the sweat of their brow. You see, sin in our world causes suffering and pain. This was not the intention of the garden. He made it perfect. He made it for Adam and Eve to dwell in. But from eternity past, he knew that humanity would make the mistake of sin. And so his plan was always the plan of redemption. It was there at the cross. And as the man of sorrows, Jesus can sympathize with our weakness. Jesus is not immune to the pain of this world. He did not drink the wine that was meant to anesthetize some of the pain of the nail going in because he did not want one of us to say, Jesus does not understand. He does understand the pain of suffering. He does understand the sorrow that's in this world. If you look at the screen in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, listen to the heart of our great high priest. For we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Church, Jesus knows the power of pain. He can sympathize with us. Jesus knows the sadness of suffering. He can sympathize with us. Jesus knows the darkness of death. He can sympathize with us. And for me as a human, I'm grateful he cried, I thirst. I'm even grateful after the three hours of darkness, he would cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because let me tell you why, as a human, it ministers to me. It reveals to me that I'm not judged for my cries in the night or my questions of his plan when I'm walking through my darkest of days. I'm not judged for it. He sympathizes with me. He understands my plight. In fact, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I understand. Listen, I've lost my brother. I've lost my dad. And when I meet with someone who has lost a loved one, 
I can truly say from the depths of my heart, as I'm holding back tears myself, I understand. And in your darkest moments, Jesus gets it. He even cried out, why have you forsaken me? Asking God. He even cried in his humanity, I thirst. And in that moment, he does not judge you. He actually beckons you to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Please, would you note his sympathy? I want you as well to note one last thing. I want you to note his approachability. It's John chapter 19. Go back there if you would with me. I'm going to read verse 30. So when Jesus had received, excuse me, verse 30, 29, I'm sorry, 29. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it in his mouth. You see, I want you to note his approachability. He did not refuse the one who ran up to him, according to Mark's gospel, and gave him this sour wine. But I need to stop for just a moment and explain what kind of wine this is. This was a different wine than the wine they originally offered him before the nails. He refused that wine. He would not drink it because he would not have any one of us say that he did not feel the pain. He sympathizes with you. No, this is a sour wine. It's a vinegar. It was at the bottom of every cross, and it was there for one reason and one reason only. When you would give it to the criminal that was dying on the cross, it would allow them to live just a little bit longer. It allowed them to suffer. So when the Roman soldier would see them about to die, they would take this vinegar and shove it in their mouth to perk them up so they would live in death a little bit longer. And after Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some one person thought he was calling an Elijah. So he ran and got the sponge and dipped it in the sour wine and he shoved it into the mouth of Jesus and Jesus drank. His body was awoken for just a moment. And the man who gave, according to Mark chapter 15, he said, let's just wait a little bit longer and see if Elijah will come. Let's keep him alive. Let's let him suffer a little bit longer. It is from that man who wanted to mock him and allow his death to linger that Jesus did not refuse. So not one of you sitting in here should ever think that there's a sin that you've committed that Jesus would refuse you. He's approachable. He didn't refuse this man. And he cried out, I thirst. And if he didn't refuse this one, he will not refuse you. He cried, I thirst. It's Psalm chapter 42, verse 2. There's a truth about every human being sitting in this room. Listen carefully. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That is a true statement about every human being that has ever been born on the face of this planet. Our soul thirsts for God. The problem is... We try to fill that hole in our heart that God has placed there, that hole in our soul, with money. We try to replace it with relationships, position, title, thinking that if we just had more, we will feel fulfilled. 
The problem is our soul thirsts for God, not wealth. Our soul thirsts for God, not women or men. Our soul thirsts for God, not a title or a position. And each and every one of you in here, our soul thirsts and longs for the living God. Even if you're unaware and you're sitting here as an unbeliever, let me tell you the truth of this statement is true for you. Your soul is thirsting for God. He alone can satisfy your deepest longing. Let me explain. Jesus would give us an illustration of Psalm chapter 42. You see, he was weary from a journey in John chapter 4. Now remember, our soul thirsts for God. We may not even be aware of it. We may be trying to fill it with all kinds of things, but there's a truth found in Scripture that Jesus explains Psalm 42. There's a woman at a well. Now let me tell you, I've lived in a country where you have to go to a well and get water. You don't go in the middle of the day. It's too hot and water's too heavy. You go early in the morning or you go late at evening. This woman didn't want to be around anyone. That's why she was there in the middle of the day. Now, this was no accident that Jesus had to go to that well. He had an appointment with that woman because he loved her. And that woman had tried to fill her life with husband after husband, man after man after man. She was still empty. And the man that she was living with now was not even yet her husband. She was trying to fulfill the hole in her heart with something other than God. But the Bible says, my soul thirsts for God. So Jesus would meet her there in John chapter 4 and he would say to her, John chapter 4 verse 13, whoever drinks of this water... Anything from the world. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Because your soul thirsts for God. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. Jesus is making it very clear. Nothing in life will satisfy the longing of your soul except for the Lord Jesus Christ. You may try to fill it with every other thing, but you will end up dry, still crying, I thirst. Because I thirst, as Jesus is the Son of Man, is the cry of every human being. Because our soul thirsts for God. Now with that, church, and for all those sitting in front of me, I need to warn you. This thirst will last for an eternity. But you only have this lifetime opportunity to drink from the well. So many people wonder, now what happens when you die? Jesus told us. It's in Luke chapter 16. You don't need to turn there. There was a very rich man. We don't know his name because everyone's forgotten no matter how famous you are no matter how much money you have. But there's another man by the name of Lazarus, and we know his name. He was a righteous man. Though he was poor as a church mouse, he lived his life for God. And Jesus tells this story that they both died. The rich man found himself in a place of weeping and gnashing and fire. But Lazarus found himself in Abraham's bosom. 
The rich man, while he was in hell, he screams out. Listen to what he screams in Luke chapter 16, verse 24. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. You see, the thirst will never go away. And I want you to stop for a moment and take a look at the hellish experience on earth of the cross. Think of all and the intensity of everything that Jesus went through. But most importantly, think of those dark three hours that he was separated from his father. And out of those three hours, he cried, I thirst. Three hours. He thirsted for God, separated from him for only three hours. What will an eternity be of never being able for your soul to be satisfied, longing for the living water that you refused on earth? Church, when Jesus said, I thirst, it is your opportunity to realize he alone can satisfy. He thirsts for you. He went to the cross for you. I thirst is a cry of all humanity. It's a cry for you. He thirsted for your soul. That's why he endured the moment of the cross. Let me remind you, go back to our story in John chapter 4. Though the woman offered Jesus a drink, if you note in the story, he never drinks from her cup. The disciples come back, and they're all concerned about the fact that he's talking to a woman. <laughs> what are we going to do? Jesus is talking to a woman. I can't believe it. We're going to have to tell him this is going to destroy the ministry. Can you imagine the gossip that's going to go on about this? I mean, we're just getting in the height of things, and here he is talking to a woman. Oy vey, what are we going to do? That's why Jesus sent him away in the first place, because he knew they wouldn't get it. They come back on the scene, and Jesus is no longer weary. He's refreshed. He's revived, but there's no drink. There's no food. And they went into the Samaritan village and brought some in and out. And they're like, Jesus, take a double-double. I mean, come on. You know, you want some Coke? Got some fries? You know, got some cheese on it? Maybe some grilled onions? I mean, come on. It's animal style. Enjoy it. (laughs) Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, oh, I'm refreshed. I got a food and a drink that you know nothing about. A woman just got saved thirsted. And his refreshment did not come from water. It came from ministry. That's why there's more joy in the presence of the angels, because God is revived and refreshed when a sinner repents. He thirsts. He came to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus pronounced, I thirst, it's the cry of every humanity, but it's also each and every one of our answer. Now, church, I need you to listen because he thirsts for you. Not only for unbelievers, he thirsts for you. He thirsts for fellowship with you. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we talked about it just a few weeks ago. He says to the church, after he finishes a sermon in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 of speaking to the church, at the end of that sermon, he makes his conclusion and he says, Behold, 
I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, now look carefully, I will come into him and dine with him. Now take a look at this. And he with me. I enjoy it just as much as you do. I'm refreshed in the heavenlies when you want to spend time with me. He longs to be your first love. It's why he said to the church in Ephesus, you're busy about everything. Now can you get back to your relationship with me? Dine with me and I with you. I long, church, to spend time with you. I thirst. I want you to see his approachability. Would you pray with me? Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. So grateful. Grateful for the cross. These two, state, these two words, I thirst, I pray, mean something so different to us today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.